Wow, well welcome to our 10-year birthday party, church. Good to be here? Yeah, special kind of a Sunday. So uh, 10 years ago at this time, um, no one was meeting in this church building for service. We were scrambling around getting ready for our first public service. It started at 10.30 and uh, we didn't have a 9 o'clock hour. We were, we were busy prepping for the 10.30. And some of you that I'm looking at were there and remember that. Many of you were not and uh, didn't have any experience of that until much later. Well, listen, this morning, uh, we, want to, we want to tell some stories and share about the things God's done. And here's sort of the theme verse of our morning. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. As we talk and share and just kind of let you in on some of the amazing things God has done in the last 10 years, we want to make it really, really clear. It was God's doing. As we started this church, um, think about this for a moment. Is there a 10-year-old in the room that could just stand up? Stand up if you're 10 years old. All right, we've got a, I, I knew we'd have two 10-year-olds. We had three. All right, I want you to look at these 10-year-olds for a second, Okay. Here's the reality of what's going on right now. We are a 10-year-old church, look at these 10-year-olds, in a 50-year-old body, okay? Now, I'm not going to make the 50-year-olds look up. I mean, stand up. I don't want to make you feel awkward. 10-year-olds, go ahead and sit down. But I want you to think about that for a minute. A 10-year-old in a 50-year-old body. There are some things right now that we want to do and, 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 and want to move and do these things, and it's a little challenging at times with a 50-year-old body. But you know what? We praise God that from day one, um, some people before us, and we've been telling this story for two weeks, were faithful to God to keep this building around, dedicate it for the Lord's use, and praise God by His grace. Here we are worshiping Jesus on this Sunday morning. Amen? So if you've been here, some of this will be review as we've been ramping up to this. But God chose to take a church in Cupertino, Valley Church. There's some context here. We didn't just kind of spring up out of nowhere. But he took a church that had never really done a church turnaround, a church plant before, and he allowed them to be the ones to come in and help do that. He took the church that was here, that met here before, that had never uh, approached a church and asked for help and used them. He took uh, some staff. Uh, I've never been a lead pastor, so he brought me and, and installed me here. The elders that were here had never been elders before. God chose to take us in our weakness and, um, and, just, and just grow us in place and move us forward. One of the things I'm super excited about is this. Um, we, have, we have with us uh, someone who's sharing his birthday with us. Uh, he, he's one of the guys that really helped drive this from Valley Church and to kind of steer things to where they are today. What we, what we decided to do was throw him a huge birthday party. There's a jump house for him later on. Um, but uh, Kurt Jones, come on up. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, this, this guy and myself and a few others um, really were on our knees a lot in some of the early days. And one of the things we kept talking about was this. It's so great that we don't have just a ton of traditions that we have to uphold and programs we have to do 
it's sort of this blank canvas. And so let's intentionally remain nimble. Let's be able to make quick adjustments. As God is moving in one direction, let's be able to move there. And one of the things that he and I talk about often with fondness looking back on those days is here's how we got approval to make a decision in the church. I would text Kurt, hey, Kurt, are you cool with this? He'd say, yes, we're done. That was it. Now, if you've ever worked for a church, been around a church, tried to do things in a church, man, you know that is bliss, okay? It's not quite that way anymore, but we still try to kind of keep that nimble, agile spirit um, to what we do. So I've asked Kurt to come and share, and he's been gracious enough um, to just kind of share and, and provide some context of, uh, of Valley's part in this and, and, and kind of us as well. So thanks, Kurt. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, it's a real joy to be here and uh, to stay stayed in contact with y'all for uh, the, t the past 10 years. There's three groups of people here today. There's uh, some of you who are around back in the family Bible church days. And uh, I'm so grateful for your faith and humility and trusting that God was going to do great things. There's a second group of you who were part of our Valley Church family who left us. Still getting over that. But you didn't really leave us because you went someplace and God did something um, new with you. And then there's a third group of folks, and you weren't part of Family Bible Church. You weren't part of Valley Church. Um, Neighborhood Bible Church has been your church. And honestly, that's the group I'm the most excited about. And some of you I know and some of you I don't know. But uh, in, the, in the Bible it says in Isaiah 43, remember not the former, former things, nor consider things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? And uh, as exciting as this 10-year anniversary is and some stories about the past, um, what's really exciting is about what God is going to do in the future. And um, we celebrated at Valley our 50-year anniversary, and Vivian Efting, one of the founders, came to me, grabbed me by the scruff of the neck. Well, she was about this tall, so she kind of, you know. And she said, don't you dare just talk about the past. You've got to talk about the future. And that was the founding kind of spirit that she had, and uh, that, uh, that you, some of you have been a part and you are asking God for the future, for what does it look like in the future. And uh, just to, to piggyback on what Dave said, you know, we, we didn't know what we were doing here. We were kind of making it up as we went, you know, fake it till you make it kind of thing. And that's often the way it goes. Um, I sat right back, back in that region over there somewhere on a presentation where um, another church and Valley Church came to present to the, to the uh, uh, Family Bible Church folks and say, here's our plan. And the first guy was really experienced. They'd done like eight other church plants, and they had done all this stuff, and, and then I was supposed to get up and talk. By the time I heard him saying, I was like, yeah, you guys ought to vote for him. Because uh, I just stood up and said, well, uh, you know, like Dave said, we've never done this before. We really don't know how we're doing it, but here's what we know. We know that, 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 um, that God wants to do a new thing. And uh, the Family Bible Church elders said, we, we want to go with you guys. I don't know why in the world they did that. <laughs> and and uh, we were trying to figure it out from, the, from that moment on. And, um, and again, uh, part of the context of what happened on the Valley Church side is we'd been having a Saturday night service. And there was a band of people that were together and, and leading in worship. And God had been doing some stirring in our own hearts about some church planting. 
And, uh, and then out of the blue, it, but in God's great timing and God's great, you know, uh, sovereign will, uh, Family Bible Church called us. And uh, my friend Steve Clifford over at, at Westgate said, hey, there's this church you guys ought to get to know. And, and, uh, and here we are 10 years later. And so uh, I have such great memories of painting nurseries and trying to track down wires with Phil Nimick, you know, in this crazy building and, and uh, uh, pulling weeds and, and digging up sprinklers and trying to figure out that sign in the front that, you know, all kinds of wonderful things about the past of what God has done here. But again, just my exhortation, my encouragement, my celebration with you is let's trust God for great things in the future for what he wants to do. And the people who aren't here yet, just like at one point in time, you weren't here, but God wants to draw into the family. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you for the privilege of partnering with you and being a sister. We're not, you're not a daughter church now, we're, we're sister churches. And uh, it's great to be, be a part of this celebration today. Thanks. Well, listen, one of, the, um, one of the things that we really tried to um, exude for the last 10 years, and we plan to continue to do it, is this. Many of you have walked these neighborhoods, um, and every time we've ever walked this neighborhood, we're not asking for anything. Uh, we want to be in a position, in a stance of, of generosity and a stance of giving, uh, with the only exception of giving blood. We have asked for people's blood when we've done blood drives here. Um, but I've talked to many, many neighbors, and they have, they have caught on to that. And uh, every time, it's an opportunity to point to a generous, giving, sacrificial God who gives to us. God doesn't want stuff from us. He gives to us. We need stuff from God. Um, I say that to lead into our offering this morning. And here's what I want to say. We don't make a big deal about this. We don't talk about this. Uh, money can be a real stumbling block for a lot of people. But there are some absolute heavy lifters in this building who have just sacrificially uh, before the Lord. I don't know who you are, but God does. And the fact that we're here thriving and vibrant and, gang, we're able to dream and do things um, around the world, literally around the world, uh, because people are generously giving here. Um, and that is just cause for celebration. It's, it's a weird thing to celebrate but, um, but it's a behind-the-scenes thing that none of this goes on uh, if, we don't, if we don't gather together and do this. So thank you for that. Uh, it's also a call to just continue to generously, sacrificially give in the future. And before the Lord, your church leadership is committed to steering those in directions that would honor God. So let me pray, and we'll take up our offering and continue to sing. By the way, one of the songs we're about to sing, uh, Rob and Ben wrote this song. It's called Not Done Yet. And it's intentionally for this morning to say, hey, here's some art created from our midst, and it's a call to the future. It's a call to say, God, 10 years is great. We do want to stop and look back and celebrate, but we're looking ahead. Let me pray. Father, thank you for, uh, for your generosity to us. God, I thank you for the amazing ways you've moved on the hearts and minds of people who give so generously, God, not just in finances, not just in time and gifts, but in so many other unforeseen ways. Lord, uh, I pray they would continue to do it as before you, not for recognition from man, but just, um, but just out of worship to you. God, just now as we give of our money, but also of our worship, I pray, Lord, that it be received and offered in a way that would please you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, church, Luke 15 is where we're at. Uh, if you have your children in the room and they need help, 
Uh, you can grab the Bible in front of you. If you're new and need help, turn to the person next to you and say, help me find Luke 15. That's where we're going to be. You know, this, uh, this is a famous chapter where Jesus is telling three parables about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and what's often called the, the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. But I think that, uh, as Timothy Keller calls it, it's more aptly named two lost sons. So we have a lost sheep, lost coin, and two lost sons. What I want to do is just read the parable uh, as Jesus would have told it, and, uh, and then we'll give a few thoughts about it. Verse 11, chapter 15 of Luke, it says this, And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. He called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered the father, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. You've never given me a young, a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You can see from a simple reading, that's not a story of one son, but clearly a story about two sons. And in this room, we have two types of people. We have younger siblings and we have older siblings. Now, there are only children as well. I understand that. 
But track with me spiritually for a moment. Younger brothers want their inheritance now. By going to the father, right, and saying, I want the inheritance now, you know what he's saying? In essence, you're as good as dead to me, dad. The way that this younger son was lost was that he sought what the father had more than the father. I want the stuff you can do for me, the stuff you can give for me, and I don't care about you. He was living life as though God is dead. One type of lostness is those who leave home. They're outside the church. There's also older brothers in here. Older brothers have been with the father the whole time, but they miss out on all he has. Not the estate, but the relationship. They're with the father, and they miss the gift of the relationship. Each one of these represents a different way you can be alienated from God, either running in rebellion or grumbling in religion. Each also represents a different idea of heaven, of heaven and happiness and what's going to truly make them happy. What's interesting with this, look at verse 1 of chapter 15. What Jesus is doing with this story is he is responding to older brothers, spiritually, who are grumbling about younger brothers. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Those are younger brothers, right? Living in rebellion. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. Those are the older brothers. Those are the ones near to the church. Those are the ones keeping the law, saying, This man receives younger brothers. He receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. So Jesus is telling this story of lostness and being found, of dead and being brought to life in response to older brother mentality. Here's what's interesting to think about. Whether you've been coming here a long time or you're relatively new and you don't know this, this church family, if you look around this church family, we are filled with older brothers and younger brothers. This is a church that is filled with younger brothers and older brothers. We're all welcomed back to God's house only because he's been gracious to us. Some of you are younger brothers. You went off and did the wild party thing. You lived as though God were as good as dead to you in total rebellion. And God graciously received you back. Younger brothers and sisters, let me say to you, would that all youngers would never lose the wonder of a feast being thrown in their honor. They never deserved it. They never earned it. All they could do was receive it. And some of you remember that like it was yesterday, even though it may have been months or years ago. You're a younger brother that's thrilled to be in the house of God. How about the older brothers and sisters? Would that all the olders would never be left out of the party. Do you notice the party ends, uh, goes on without the older brother coming in? The older brother approaches the house. What's going on? When he's told the answer, we don't see resolution that the older brother comes in. Older brothers and sisters, isn't it a blessing to be born and around the Father your whole life? If that's you, praise God, celebrate God. But you're in danger. You're in grave danger of missing out on what you have because you've never tasted differently 
So older siblings in the faith, older brothers in the faith, let us not turn into the scribes and Pharisees that caught much of the ire of Jesus Christ, but rather let's be older siblings who aren't left out of the party. Let us not be the kinds of people who are, who are griping about all these different sinners that God accepts. Let's celebrate that. Let's get in on the welcome wagon and commit to being part of the party. I want to share with you two of the sort of more extreme examples that I've seen in our church history here of a younger brother example and an older brother example. And there are so many people that are right in the midst of this that it's kind of too raw and fresh to share their testimony. So, so I, I, I reached out a little bit. One is, is a guy by the name of Richard. Richard was definitely a younger brother type of guy. Some of you remember Richard. Richard's a guy that a few years into this church busted up a meeting that was happening right here. And he walks in the back door and he said, excuse me, um, could I talk to someone? And, and I thought, being the pastor of the church, I should probably get up and talk to him. So I did. So I went up and I introduced myself and we stepped outside and he said, hi, I'm Richard and um, I just wanted to know if you could help me. And I said, okay, what's your deal? And he said, well, um, I'm growing some fruits and vegetables over here behind AutoZone and, uh, and I share with AutoZone, I share with some of the other homeless people that I live with and the water district wants to come and rip out my garden. Can you help me? Now, in all of my training to be a pastor, I never took the class that said how to help a homeless guy save his community garden. That one eluded me somehow. I was taking something else. So I said to Richard, I said, Richard, I said, do you believe in miracles? And he said, you know, I believe in Jesus. And I said, well, if you believe in Jesus, you believe in the biggest miracle that ever existed. I said, Richard, the meeting that you just busted up is a meeting of 25 people who are responding to a call by the mayor to help with three different initiatives. You know what those initiatives are? Help with the gang problem in San Jose. He was approaching the faith community. Help with the gang problem. Help to be more environmentally friendly. And help with the homeless crisis in San Jose. I said, this meeting that you just busted up are the 25 or so people out of the 100 that met with the mayor that said, let's not just talk about it, let's really do something about it. So if there's 25 people in this whole county that care about homelessness and a community garden that might actually be a little bit eco-friendly, they're sitting in our church. I said, Richard, would you just come and tell them what you just told me? He's like, sure. So Richard comes in, and our guest speaker for that luncheon was Richard the homeless guy, which is how we knew him at that point. From that moment on, he became Richard Dinchell. It wasn't just a homeless guy, he became a friend. We walked out, he had a buddy sitting out by the redwood tree out there with his cart. I said, uh, Richard, where do you go to church? Make the assumption that everyone goes to church. It puts him off guard. He said, I don't really have a church. I said, Richard, you live a mile away. We're called Neighborhood Bible Church. Would you make this your church? You now know someone. I'll be here most every Sunday. He said, sure. I said, we'll even have special parking for your cart. Bring your cart, because I get it. you got to bring your stuff. And some of you remember Richard. Richard became a part of our community for the last year and a half of his life, through much up and down. This was not a smooth ride. For the last year and a half of his life, he was a part of this church community. For the last eight months of his life, he was clean and sober and off of the streets, living in a facility. 
Some years later, um, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me pause. Let me tell you about a second person. That's, that's a younger brother. That's, that, that's Richard. The second person I want to tell you about is Jim. Jim is a guy that had what you would look in the Silicon Valley as having it all. He had power. He had money. He had apparent happiness. Um, and and he, he was trucking forward in life. But Jim had a big problem. Jim's righteousness came from himself. Um, and he was, uh, he was an older brother. He was one that was rule-keeping and score-keeping. If he cared about others at all, it was to score-keep. We have a saying that we've used from day one here that says this, come as you are, but don't stay that way. The two components of that are this. Come as you are says, man, fling the doors of the church wide open. Wouldn't you agree that if you waited to clean yourself up to come to church, you'd never come to church? I mean, if you're really an honest person, you'd never make it. So we say, come as you are. Don't wait and get cleaned up. Don't get off of the streets and find a facility. Don't stop being self-righteous. Come right now today as you are. Today might be the day of salvation for you, friend. But don't stay that way. As a disciple of Jesus, as a preacher of God's word, you get involved with a group of people at this church, you are not going to be at the same place today as you will six months from now and a year from now and beyond. Here's where Richard's life changed. Richard began to savor the salvation that he had from Jesus Christ. He began to serve other people instead of himself. I remember he said this one time. One of my kids and I went and visited him in the hospital where the paramedics had picked him up in a drunken stupor and he was getting out of the hospital. And he said, you know, if my life could serve as a warning to one person to not chase after sin and rebellion to God, it would all be worth it. We did his funeral here. And at his funeral, it was filled with his friends and most of his friends aside from the ones he had built relationship with here at the church, were homeless. And so right here in this sanctuary, with many homeless people that lived close by here, I stood up and I said this. Richard was a liar, a cheat, a scoundrel, and a thief. And by the time I got halfway through that list, you had people in church who don't normally be in church, don't know how to act in church, and they said, Boo! No! Stop it! They were like angry that I was saying these things. And then I said this, But God had mercy on him and saved him. And now Richard is a son forever, a servant in the court of the Most High, and a dearly part a dearly loved part of our family. You know, Richard and I came up with that together before he died. <laughs> That's what a scoundrel he was. He knew that would throw the crowd into a tizzy. He said, Dave, tell him who I was. Not way in the past, right up until the end. Tell him who God saved. That's who I was. No airs about him. He just put it out there of who he was. Let me tell you about Jim. Jim was saved from self-righteousness. And he was given God's righteousness. And he received God's righteousness. And today, Jim serves in our church. And Jim teaches a class on what it is to be parented by God now as a born-again person in the new life. 
And he understands it at a deep level. And he's very humble and open. He's a trophy of God's grace. He's a trophy of saying, don't be an older brother. Don't try to get there on your own merit. I want to shift gears and say this, that as we've been saying this morning, who's next? Who's the next younger brother who's going to come into our midst and be welcomed into this family in a radical way, such that they haven't received that kind of welcome ever before? And that older siblings in the faith are going to nurture and God's going to cause new life to happen and they're going to become a beloved son, a beloved daughter. Who's next? Who are those self-righteous older brothers who are out there amongst our city and amongst our communities that's going to be next? They're going to come here and in whatever way God chooses to do, they're going to crumble under the weight of their own self-righteousness and realize that's not the path. And they're going to humbly receive God's righteousness. Let me tell you this. One of the things that makes this place tick is this. We are a family on a mission to change the world through ordinary people. I love, I celebrate the fact that we have, we have two paid people on this staff. That's because we have a very vibrant, active body that is, that is doing ministry. And I implore you, I invite you to be in on the process. By the way, some are sitting right here in our midst. This service and next service. Let me just offer a couple of uh, words of things that you can be involved in coming up. Last Sunday, uh, we had many of our youth that were not here with us because they were up serving with City Impact up in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco. Every fifth Sunday, they bring the church to people who aren't coming to church. Praise God for that. One of the things we've been doing for 10 years is we've been gathering sweatshirts and beanies and blankets and uh, all kinds of great stuff, and we just go and pass out um, all that stuff and pray over people who are homeless up in the city um, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. So that'll be happening again. We'll have our typical shopping cart in the back where we'll be gathering items. So that's a way to come be involved. If you've never come and done that, um, step outside your, your comfort zone and, and join us. That'll be in November 27th. Secondly, um, we have something called Operation Christmas Child. This is something that was born out of the hearts of some of our congregation years and years ago. And far better than me telling you about it, far better than a video telling you about it, we have some lovely PA girls that are going to come and tell us about it. So come on up, girls. This is a shoebox for Operation Christmas Child. What is Operation Christmas Child? Operation Christmas Child is a ministry that happens every Christmas. People of all ages pack fun and important items into shoeboxes to bless children in need around the world. Churches collect these boxes from their communities and thousands of volunteers prepare them for international shipping. Before the shoeboxes arrive in more than 100 countries, pastors and community leaders are trained to share the truth and love of Jesus with those receiving the shoeboxes. They learn how to prepare child-friendly outreach events and how to follow up with the discipleship program. Many children are also given a gospel story booklet called The Greatest Gift. Wow, and it all starts with just one person or family packing a little shoebox. How can I and my church family participate in this great ministry? There are three ways. One, grab a shoebox and instruction sheet from the back of the church. Bring your filled box back to church next Sunday. I would love to, but what if someone doesn't have enough time this week to put together a shoebox on their own? 
two. Sign up on the city to bring 10 to 20 of the same item, like toothbrushes, jump ropes, crayon boxes, etc., to church next Sunday. We can use those items to put together boxes at the packing party. Or you can sign up on the city to help sh- to donate money to help ship the boxes. Packing party? Can we all come? Three. Three. Yes. Come one, come all to our packing party on Tuesday, November 15th from 4 to 5.30. It, is, it will be organized by the American Heritage Girls Troop from our church. It is happening in this room and is a great chance for all children to serve. We will pack boxes together from your donated items and pray over them. More details will be on the city. So many ways to help. Thanks for the information. Let's fill some shoe boxes.